Romans chapter number 8, and we're uh, going to continue our series, The Power of Love. And I love to look around the room and see so many of you here today. There's some of you that have made it back today. This is your first time back since the quarantine hit, and we're glad that you uh, have made it back to church, and uh, we're, we're just thrilled to have you here. Romans chapter 8, once you've uh, found that, please stand, and we're going to begin in verse number 34. And read down through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, down through verse number 39. We'll read every verse together. So I'll begin by myself in 34, and then we'll begin together in verse 35, and then continue that pattern all the way to the end of the chapter. The Bible says in verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll continue our series, The Power of Love, and look at this important, important topic. Love conquers. Love conquers. Aren't you glad that there isn't any problem in your life that God's love cannot handle. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we consider this passage. What a rich passage. And Lord, we won't come close to even exhausting all the truths that are in here. In fact, we'll just scratch the surface. Lord, help us as we uh, sit and listen to the preaching, or that you would work on our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, that you would comfort the one that is struggling that, Lord, you would charge our spiritual batteries so that we can go forth and be shining lights in such a dark world. Help us, God, to represent you well uh, as we are your Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Have you ever felt as though you had a sin in your life that had just entrenched itself And that no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't seem to get rid of that sinful habit. And uh, you hear preaching on it, you feel guilty about it. Maybe you do it and you feel guilty about it. And you fall on your face before God and you say, God, I really want to stop doing whatever it is. Or maybe it's a sin of omission. And uh, there's something you know you should start doing in your life. And boy, you put forth the effort. Maybe it's reading your Bible every day. Maybe it's having a daily prayer time. You put forth the effort, and you, you have some limited success, and then things just got, sort of fall apart, and the wheels fall off, and you think, I just cannot get this going in my life, or I just can't stop this in my life. I have these sinful habits, and no matter how hard I work at it, no matter how hard I try, I just can't overcome these sinful habits. If you can relate with me this morning, would you raise your hand? You know what I'm talking about this morning. And so, listen, we've all been there, haven't we? It can feel as though you've been surrounded 
by a group of bad boys in an alley late at night and been pummeled. Except it wasn't bad boys that got you. It was sin that got you. And uh, it's those sins that so easily encircle us. It's those sins that so easily beset us. And uh, they, uh, they surround us. And before we know it, we're giving in to those sinful habits over and over and over again. And so the question this morning for you is this. Do you believe that God's love can conquer that sin? Do you believe that it can? You see, I, there have been times in my Christian life where I have believed in my head that God's love could cover or conquer my sin. But in my practical day to day, boy, I began to wonder, can God's love really help me stop doing whatever that shortcoming is? I, my proposition this morning to you is simple. If God's love can conquer the faults of our flesh, then God's love can conquer anything. If God's love can overcome the faults and temptations of our flesh, then God's love can conquer anything. Maybe for some of you in here this morning, your, your shortcoming, your downfall is a sharp tongue. Boy, you can just rip people to shreds and call them names and let them have it when you're upset with them. Maybe in here your shortcoming is you're quick-tempered and you fly off the handle real quick and you're real quick to blow up. And uh, uh, when you blow up, you blow up big. It's not a little explosion. It's a big explosion. Maybe someone in here your shortcoming is that um, uh, you curse a lot and you've got a loose mouth and you can't help yourself. And the next thing you know, a string of curse words comes flying out of your mouth. Maybe your shortcoming in here is that you're covetous and you walk around a place like a mall or a shopping center and you see all sorts of things that you don't own and you want those, you desire those. I don't know what what your downfall is, what your sinful struggle is. Maybe it's lust and you look upon another man or woman that isn't your spouse Thank you, Brother Joe. I'm going to need that today. Amen. Uh, you look at another man or woman that isn't your spouse with, with lust and you say, boy, I'd like to get my hands on him or I'd like to get my hands on her. And uh, whatever that shortcoming is, if you get under the spout of God's love, what you'll find is God's love can conquer that sin. Look back with me at Romans chapter 8 and look at verse number 30, uh, let's see here, verse number 37, it says, Nay, in fact, let's read it together. Ready, here we go. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Boy, every time I've ever read this verse, I've stopped and gotten a big smile on my face. And I've asked this question, if I'm more than a conqueror, then what am I? What am I? Lord, what does it mean to make somebody more than a conqueror. I can't think of as a, a competitive man who loves to win. And boy, uh, we can't have family game night in our house because you have four competitive people sitting around the table and we're real quick of accusing the other one of cheating. And no, you didn't win fair and square. I won and you didn't win. And, you know, we just had to scrap family game night because it just got too intense and too competitive. I love to win. I love to conquer. I love to be on top. I love to work myself to the place where I am the, the one who's uh, conquered the hill. I'm king of the hill. And when God says that we're more than conquerors, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that there is no word to describe what we are when we're under God's love. You're not just a conqueror 
You're more than a conqueror. How about Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 when it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, uh, the, the author of Hebrews was saying, find the sharpest uh, two-edged sword that you can find and God's Word is sharper than that sword. Well, how sharp is the Bible? It's so sharp we don't even know how to uh, adequately describe it. All we can do is say, find the sharpest two-edged sword there is and God's Word is sharper than that. Uh, how much of a conqueror are you if you're under the, the power of God's love? You're so much a conqueror, there's not even a word to describe it. My friend, if you're here today and you're struggling to overcome sin in your life, you're struggling to overcome a relationship battle in your life. There's some husband-wife who just can't figure out how to get along. There's some adult-child-parent relationship that just isn't working. Uh, uh, there's uh, some brother or sister in the Lord that you just can't seem to reconcile with. And you say, Pastor, is there an answer? The answer is, yes, there's an answer. It is the love of God. You see, God's love is the answer to all of this world's problems. To all of this world's problems, we are more than conquerors. Here's what I want to tell you this morning, is that if you cannot overcome your sin, I want you to imagine that God is standing at the top of a pit, and you're down in that pit of your sin. Alright? we got people coming and going. You're going to have to pay attention on purpose here. It's all good. We're, uh, we're just glad people are here. Amen? Again, we had the accident up the way, and that's kept people from getting here at the desired time. And we're just uh, thankful they're here. But let's do our, our best, if we can, to focus this morning. And I want you to imagine you're down in a pit, the pit of your sin. And God is standing at the top of the pit. And He's thrown you a rope. And that rope is, God, is His love. And He's saying, do you want out of your struggle? Well, then you have to climb up the rope of my love, and I'll let you out of the struggle. How many of you here have ever had someone in your life who was struggling, and you threw them a proverbial rope to try to help them out, and they had no interest in climbing up your rope? Anybody ever have that happen? You wanted to help somebody, you gave them advice, you told them you were there for them, you called them, you checked on them, you texted them, and you just found that they were just about ignoring you. Right? You think sometimes God feels that way toward us? You know what isn't fair? What isn't fair is when you've tried to love somebody and tried to help somebody, and they've rejected your love, what isn't fair for them to turn around and say that you didn't try and help them? Or that you aren't capable of helping them? You know, God throws us His love, but we want to do it our way. We don't want to do it His way. And then when we don't have success, we say, Oh, I tried religion. Oh, I tried God. Oh, I tried God's love. And it just didn't work. Oh, my friend, it works. Romans 8.37 says we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Let's jump into the outline this morning. And uh, I encourage you to take your bullets in there on the back. There's a blank space for you to write down the notes. And we'll put the notes up here on the screen. And please do that. I'm going to give you way more uh, Bible verses today than we'll even have time to cover. And so um, uh, this will give you something to do and, and a way to study your Bible beyond today. Note point number one, the measure of God's love. The measure of God's love. How much does God 
love me and you. Look at verse number 31 of Romans chapter number 8. We'll be from verse 28 all the way down to the end of the chapter, but we'll look at it in uh, different sections here. Let's begin in verse 31. It says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? My friend, if you've got God on your side, then no one can defeat you. I'm going to tell a cute little story here about myself from back when I was in the first grade. And please uh, hang on with me here because I think while the, the story is, is, is cute and funny, I think it makes a much more powerful and, uh, and greater point. When I was a first grader, I had a little girl walk up to me. Uh, she was a second grader. And she said to me right before we got ready to go out to recess, she said, her name is Jessica. Jessica said, uh, Richard, I like you. And oh man, my heart started to just beat inside my chest. And this, 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 uh, this, uh, uh, Cupid's arrow hit me right in the heart. And I said, oh. Now I had never noticed Jessica before, but because Jessica took an interest in me, all of a sudden I began to take an interest in Jessica. And I looked at her and I said, well, I like you too. And she said, well, my mom, I'd been telling my mom for weeks, how cute I think you are, and how much I like you, and I wanted to know if you wanted to sit with me at lunchtime today and eat lunch with me. And I said, oh, yes, I do. And so that day at recess, we ran around the gym together, and we played together, and we ignored all the other kids, and, and then uh, we went back to our uh, respective classes, and lunchtime came, and we met up in the, in the cafeteria, and I sat next to her, and I, we ate our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches together, and then I ate her pretzels, and she ate my potato chips, and then I ate her apple, and she ate my orange. And old man, life couldn't have been any better. There were birds singing over our head. We were just so happy. And then time came for a recess or PE at the end of the day. We had an hour long to just run around and play on the playground. And this is back in the 80s, back when playgrounds were real. You know what I'm talking about? They've made them so safety-oriented today. How does the kid have any fun on a playground today? I mean, we had a merry-go-round. And we'd get on that merry-go-round, and the big kids would get us spinning. And, man, you felt like if you let go, you were going to fly to China. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? We, it, it probably wasn't the best idea, but we had a great time with it. And we had a big, tall metal slide. And that metal slide, uh, when you're, you know, six years old, it looked like it was 15 stories high. And it was... Uh, the Mississippi heat, man, you would burn your leg going all the way down that slide. It gets so hot. And my sister one time leaned and fell off the slide and broke her arm. Maybe it is better they've made playgrounds safer. I don't know. Uh, but uh, they had swing sets that were really tall. We, us boys would wiggle up the poles and we'd sit up on top of the swing set and then hang and drop down to the ground. And we had monkey bars. And us boys would get on the monkey bars and we'd swing on those monkey bars. And we'd have monkey bar wars where we'd see who could kick the other boy off first. I mean, it was great. My childhood was awesome. Amen. And then we had a set of monster truck tires that were stacked up and you could play in those tires and hide in those tires. Well, at PE that day, I wasn't concerned about climbing on top of the monkey bars or going down the slide. I just wanted to be with Jessica. I mean, she was my newfound romance. Don't get jealous, Angela. Okay. It was short lived. All right. And, um, uh, that day, uh, we, uh, uh, we played hide and go seek as a class. And so, you know, Jessica and I went and hid behind the tires together. And there we were hiding behind the tires, just the two of us. And no one found us. We were back there for a good five or ten minutes. You say, well, well, pastor, what did you do? I didn't do nothing. 
I didn't touch her. I didn't even think about touch her because I know who my dad is, and he'd kill me if I'd have touched that girl. And so when we got back up to class at the very end of the day, P.E. ended, and we're up there, we're packing up our things to go home, and all the girls in my class, they ran and told the teacher, they said, we saw Richard kiss Jessica behind the tires. You know, that wasn't true. I will go to my grave denying that ever happened. I've only kissed up four women in my entire life. You say, well, what were their names? My mom, my sister, my other sister, and that young lady right there. Those are the only four women I've ever kissed in my life. I didn't kiss Jessica. But, man, I was being told on, and they were telling the, the teacher that, uh, that I kissed Jessica. And all the kids joined in and said, we saw it, we saw it. And then my little theological first grade self, I stood up and I said, God knows I didn't kiss her. It's me, Jessica, and God against the rest of you. And because God's on my side, we win and you lose. That's pretty good for a first grader, wasn't it? The teacher, Mrs. Allen, started laughing and she said, you guys get out of here. And, uh, and we left. And you know what? I came back to school the next day and I wasn't interested in Jessica anymore. And Jessica wasn't interested in me. So that was that. It's funny how those things end so quickly. Now, the truth is, if God is on your side, it doesn't matter who else is on your side. You plus God beats everybody else in the world. You plus God beats everyone else in the world. Listen, it can feel at a family reunion when you're the only Christian there that you're outnumbered. You know you're not. It can feel at work when you're the only one in your job that's a professing Christian. That everyone else hates you or hates your God. You plus God make an incredible team. Look at verse number 32. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 32. He, speaking of God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There are times where I'm witnessing to someone. I'm telling them about how to get to heaven. And I take the time to tell them about the great sacrifice that God went through in giving up Jesus. And how that Jesus came to earth and he was brutally murdered on the cross for our sins. He willingly laid down his life. He was tortured even. And how he hung on the cross and he died in our place. And you know, there are times as I'm giving the gospel to someone, the person I'm witnessing to seems real aloof. They, they almost want to yawn at the fact that Christ died for them. And what I want to do is grab them by the shirt. I don't. But what I want to do is grab them by the shirt and shake them and say, Don't you understand how much God loves you? Don't you understand what Jesus went through on your behalf? Don't you understand the measure of God's love? Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, came to this earth and God restrained Himself and let His only Son die in your place. Oh, my friend, don't you ever grow cold. Don't you ever let your heart grow uh, aloof. Or don't you ever go to a place where you shrug your shoulders and you don't care about the great sacrifice that Christ gave for you on the cross. What does love conquer? 
What does love conquer? God looked down at mankind on earth and saw their brokenness and saw their sin and saw their, uh, their uh, depravity and saw that they were headed to hell. And God looked down at mankind and said, I need to conquer their death. I need to conquer their hell. He looked all throughout heaven for someone who is powerful enough to make up the gap, to make up the difference. And He chose His only begotten Son, Jesus, and He sent Him down to be born in the womb of a virgin. And Jesus grew up and He lived a perfect life. Never once did He steal or covet or lie or disobey or cheat or steal. He didn't do anything wrong. And they they took Him and they nailed Him on the cross. And Jesus died so I don't have to die. Jesus went through hell on that cross so I don't have to go to hell. How much does God love me? God loves me so much that He allowed Jesus to die in my place. Oh, the love of God. What does it conquer? It conquered my sin. It conquered my death. It conquered my hell. For Jesus laid in that ground for three days. And after three days of laying in the tomb, He stood up and He said, I've conquered death. I've conquered hell. I've conquered the grave. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Me, I'll conquer your death and your hell and your grave. Oh, this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus who died for you, please, I beg you, don't walk out of this building until you have done that. Oh, the measure of God's love. You know, Christian, it would have been enough for God just to save you and then forget about you until you, went, until, until you died. If God had said, I'm going to save you and then just let you be and you wander through life to the grave and then when you die, your body lays in the ground, I'll take your soul to heaven, that would have been good enough for me. But you know, that's not what God does. Look back at verse 32 again. Look at the second half of the verse. It says there, How shall He not with them also freely give us all things? We are such a blessed people, aren't we? You know, every good thing I have in my life is a gift from God. The air I breathe, the clothes I wear, the house I live in, the relationships that I have, everything, all of it, is a gift from God. Jesus said in the book of Luke, he said, if your child were to ask you for a fish, would you give him a rock or a stone? If your child were to ask you for a piece of bread, would you hand him a scorpion? Of course not. He said, in comparison to the heavenly father, you're evil. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good gifts to those that ask Him. Aren't you glad that God didn't just save you and forget about you? He watches over your every step every day. Boy, He has our steps counted. He knows how many steps I've taken on this platform since this message has begun. He knows how many hairs I have and don't have on my head. Amen? He knows how much I weigh at every moment of every day. He knows every thought I think. He catches my tears in a bottle. He writes down my prayers in a book. He has bore or erased out my sins. God loves me. God loves you. The measure of God's love is infinite. The measure of God's love is indescribable. I wish I could just stand up here and adequately describe how much God loves you. But I would not even begin to scratch the surface in telling you how deep God's love is for you. My friend, the rope of God's love is right where you are. The question is, are you going to grab it and climb out of the hole you're in or are you going to try to do it your own way and stay 
in the pit. Love conquers. The measure of God's love. Number two, notice the mediator of God's love. The mediator of God's love. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse number 33. It says there, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Well, who are we talking about? Back up to verse 32 with me. He that spared not his own son, the mediator of God's love, is Jesus. One of the many things I do as a pastor is I counsel. And um, it, hardly a week goes by that I don't have someone who stops by my office or calls me on the phone with the problem that they are uh, seeking my advice on. And I love to do it. I would just ask one thing of each of you that before you come to me and ask for help, that you spend time on your knees in prayer talking to God directly. And uh, you let God help you with your problems before you come to me. But uh, once you've prayed about it and you want to come and get your pastor's advice, I'd love to give you counsel from the Bible. Sometimes I have husbands and wives come into my office and they've reached an impasse. They can't even speak to each other anymore. They're so upset with each other. And you know what I do in those situations is I sit there and I mediate for the two of them. You know, God in heaven is perfect. He hates sin. I'm speaking of the Father now. He hates sin. He hates our sin. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what Jesus does at the right hand of the Father? He mediates for me and you. The Bible says about Jesus that he is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Watch this now. Watch this now. The first time Jesus came, he came as a prophet. The next time Jesus comes, he's going to come back as a king. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And do you know what he's doing? He is acting as our priest. How many of you here have ever uh, behaved in such a way where you were so ashamed of yourself that you felt like, surely God doesn't want to hear from me. I can't pray right now. God doesn't want me to talk to Him. You all know what I'm talking about? You know where that comes from, right? That comes from parents when we were growing up, or maybe we do this to our kids, where when our kids, well, I don't want to talk to you. I'm put out with you. You know, um... You don't have to worry about that with God. Oh, and by the way, Satan is, is crafty. Satan sits over here on this shoulder and he says, you know you want to do wrong. You know you want to do wrong. It, look how much fun it is. And, and temptation is, every temptation is packaged with the exact same lie. That if I give in, if I succumb, I will be happier. And you know what? It's like drinking a soda. It tastes good going down. It doesn't taste so good afterwards when you have that aftertaste in your mouth. And you don't feel so good afterwards. And sin tastes sweet to the, to the mouth, to the proverbial mouth. But it isn't so much fun afterwards. And we participate in that sin. And then afterwards, Satan switches shoulders. And he comes over here and he says, You are a dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing loser of a Christian. God doesn't want you to talk to Him. I can't believe you participated in that. Shame on you. God wants nothing to do with you. Christian, can I tell you nothing could be further from the truth? Hebrews chapter 4 
The Bible says that heaven is a throne of grace. It is a throne of grace where we obtain mercy and we find help in time of need. I can't think of a time in my life where I need more help than after I have fallen into sin, when I have uh, succumbed to temptation, and I walk into the presence of God with my head hanging low, and I say, Lord, help me. And God, uh, Jesus looks over at God and says, uh, He's asking for forgiveness. Will you forgive Him? And God looks back at Jesus and says, Well, I don't know. I hate sin. And Jesus looks back at God and says, Will you do it for my sake? I already died for his sin. And God looks back at Jesus and says, I love you, Jesus, and you're perfect, and you died on the cross for their sin. Yes, I will forgive them for your sake. And then we are forgiven before God because we've confessed our sins and He's been faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And there we stand before God, forgiven, and we can talk to Him in prayer. Oh, the mediator of God's love. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, mediating on our behalf. And then because of Jesus, God pours out His love all over us. Sometimes we are are guilty of committing sin, and then God forgives us, but we don't forgive ourselves. We walk around with our head hanging low, and we're almost throwing a pity party for ourselves, aren't we? We act like, well, God doesn't want any fellowship with me. Is it that God doesn't want fellowship with you, or is it that you are not wanting fellowship with God? Because God stands at the portals of heaven with His ear bent low, waiting for you to pray, waiting for you to confess, waiting for you to make it right, waiting to love you again. Number three, and lastly, we see the manifestation of God's love. We've looked at how love conquers, the measure of God's love, the mediator of God's love. Number three, the manifestation of God's love. Look look with me at verse number 35 of Romans chapter 8, and let's read together verse 35 through verse 39. Actually, I'm going to get you going, and I'm going to let you all read while I take a drink of water, amen, so I can make it through the end of the sermon. Ready? Here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And all God's people said, aren't you thankful that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us. That's a beautiful sounding passage until you start diving deep and you understand all of what it means. Letter A, notice his provision through trials. His provision through trials. Look back at verse number 35. Look how heavy this verse is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Boy, all the emphasis gets put on that part. That nothing, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. But look here at the things that try. Tribulation. Distress. You know, um, my wife and I have been working with wood for a couple of years now. 
And one of the things my wife artistically tries to do at times is make a board look distressed. And uh, there's, there's tricks you can use with painting that make a board look distressed. But, you know, the best way to get a distressed board is to find a board that's been beaten up by the elements. It's distressed. I, I looked that word distress up in preparation for this message this morning. And I looked to see if the root word behind distress had been translated as anything else in English. And I found that it's been translated as one other word, and it's the word anguish. Anguish. When I think of the word anguish, I think of when I put the table saw through my fingers a couple of months back. And I had my hand wrapped in a towel. I had broken bones in my fingers. My hand wrapped in a towel above my head, and I was in anguish. My poor wife was in trauma. Amen? She was driving like 100 miles an hour down Route 8. And I said, slow down. We're not going to die. I'm going to die in a car accident. I'm not going to die by hand. But you know what? I was groaning and moaning. And the 10 minutes it took them to come into the uh, room there in the hospital and put some medicine in my hand felt like an eternity because I was in physical anguish. You know, the love of Christ... The love of Christ is still there even, friends, when we are in anguish. Even when we're going through a tribulation. Look back at verse 35. Distress. Persecution. Famine. You know what it means to be famined? You don't have anything to eat. Nakedness. Nothing to wear. Peril. Sword. We think of the love of Christ as living a cush, easygoing, comfortable American lifestyle. Can I ask you a question? The Christians in the Middle East that are getting their heads chopped off. Does Jesus love them too? People that wander around in caves, and as, as described at the end of Hebrews 11. Caves and in nakedness. You we'll look at this on Wednesday nights in a couple of weeks, but the Bible says this world was not worthy to have such strong Christians walking it. Their faith was so intense. God's love for them was still there even then. Nothing shall separate us. Look down at verse number 38. For I am persuaded, and we can get a contrast here, that neither death nor life... Death would be the bad, life would be the good, nor angels, that's the good, nor principalities, nor powers, that's the bad, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What does God provide us to get us through these trials? We don't have time this morning to turn over there, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 through 17 tells us to be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Verse 12 of that passage says that we are to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the wiles or the fiery darts of the devil and having done all to stand. To stand. There are times where we feel abandoned by God. There are times we we feel forgotten by God. I promise you, my friend, God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. Just because life gets tough, just because life gets hard, just because your faith gets challenged, you cannot, you will not ever be separated from the love of Christ. 
What are the provisions? Boy, that passage goes on to lay out that we are to put on the whole armor of God, our loins girded about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, our our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are to put on the armor of God so we can go into spiritual warfare and we can be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. His provisions through trials. Let her be noticed. His plan for our trials. His plan for our trials. Look back at verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. Let's read down through verse number 30. Romans 8, 28 is a popular verse, but 29 and 30 are just as important to the process. Look here, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now quickly here, We all want things to work together for our good, do we not? But are we willing to love God? Are we willing to do the calling of our life, His purpose for our life? Let's keep reading verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So what is God's plan for our trial? Stay with me here. We're almost done with the message. I want your undivided attention for just a few more minutes. I promise I'm going to show you something here that will really help you, all right? Notice the process here. The first step in the process is that God foreknows. God What does that mean? That means that God is so intelligent, He knows who is going to choose Him for salvation. I want you to imagine that God exists outside the realm of time. I know that's hard to wrap our head around, but God is not confound by time. And so imagine with me, if you will, God is standing at the beginning of time when Adam was made and he's standing at the end of time when he destroys this heaven and earth and he creates a new heaven and earth. And God stands at the end of time and he looks back across all of humanity that's ever lived and he sees those who on their own free will choose to put their faith and trust in Him for salvation. And He goes back to the beginning of time and in His foreknowledge, He chooses those who already chose Him. You say, well, pastor, who does the choosing? Do we do the choosing or does God do the choosing? And the answer is both. It's both. If I were to go uh, home this afternoon and say to my family that I was going out to the store and I was going to go to Home Depot to pick up some things and my children shot up off the couch and said, Dad, can we go? They're both choosing to go with me. Now, I have a choice as Dad. I can either leave both of them, I can take both of them, or I can choose one and leave the other at home. They have chose me, now I must Choose them. We choose God, and God in His foreknowledge already knows who's going to choose Him, and then God turns around and chooses all those that choose Him to take them, and takes them to heaven. Foreknowledge. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, He already knew you were going to do it. Notice the next step in the process. Predestined to the image of Christ. Do you know that if you are saved, you're born again, you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you, whether or not you like it, it's just a fact that one day you will be stamped into the image of Christ. 
You will look like Jesus Christ. Now, I've met a lot of Christians who really buck this process. I mean, they're saved. They don't look like they're saved. They don't talk like they're saved. They don't act like they're saved. In fact, they're doing everything they can to look anything like Jesus Christ. But whether or not you want this to happen, there's going to be a day where your body dies and God takes your soul to heaven and he'll instantly then make you into the image of Christ. It's predestined. It's already set in stone. It will happen one day. Christian, my encouragement is to you, don't wait until you die before you look like Christ. Start letting Him make you into His image right now. Well, what's the next step in the process? Notice here, uh, the next verse here says that we're called to a work. Look back with me at Romans chapter 8. And uh, look at uh, verse number uh, 29. For whom He did foreknow, we also did predestinate. And, uh, and whom he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Then he also called. If you're saved this morning, will you look up here at me? I don't care if you're four years old or 94 years old. God has called you to a work. The question is, are you doing the work? Are you doing the work? Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. What's the end of the verse say? To them who are the called according to his purpose. Are you doing the calling that God has placed on your life? You say, Pastor, I don't even know what that is. Then you need to get in the presence of God. You see, the Bible tells us, I think it was Jesus that said this, many are called, but few are chosen. Earlier this morning, my son Matthew was here with me in this room. If I would have called his name, he would have come. Why? Because he could hear me. Right now, I could scream and shout and yell and holler at the top of my lungs. He wouldn't hear me. You know why? He's out of earshot. Many Christians live outside of earshot of God. They're too busy running their li- living their life, doing their thing, and God's calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them, but they've got God drowned out with their life because they're too busy living for themselves to ever hear the voice of God. And you know what? Many are called, but few are chosen. Who gets chosen? Those who can hear the calling. I want to be so close to the heart of my Savior that all He has to do is just whisper my name. And I hear His call. Oh, Christian, He cannot make you into the image of His Son until you're doing the work He's called you to. Oh, what's the next step in the process? Verse 29 goes on to tell us, or rather verse 30 goes on to tell us that who he calls, he justifies. Justified. And simply put there, he qualifies you. He erases all of the the, the sin off your record. He gives you a fresh start, a new slate. You're qualified. And I've got to tell you this morning that if he's called you, he's already qualified you. Uh, you may have a, a past. You may have a record. You have made, maybe made some mistakes in your life. But God, uh, he, he casts your sin over his shoulder. He buries it in the deepest sea, and it is gone. And not only... Are you justified, but in time, one day, when we step on heaven's shore, we'll be glorified. We'll be glorified. God has a plan for our trial. Now, let's look at that list up there real quick, can we? Oh, we love the idea that God already knows whether or not we're going to get saved. That makes us feel secure in a God who's so powerful. Oh, and the idea of being stamped into the image of 
the perfect Christ. That's a pretty spectacular thought as well. Oh, and being qualified. Who doesn't want a resume that's qualified? Oh, and being glorified and, and, and knowing that we're glorified. That's wonderful. But what about that middle one? Are we willing to put in the work that God is calling us to do? You see, that is God's plan for conquering our sin. We must do the work of Him that sent us while it is yet day. Why? Because the night cometh when no man can work. We see His provisions through trials. We see His plan for our trials. Let us see and lastly notice our perception during trials. Look at verse 38 of Romans chapter 8. Let's read those first four words together, can we? Ready? For I am persuaded. You guys awake this morning? Let's do it again. Ready? Here we go. For I am persuaded. You know what Paul said? He said, I am totally 100% convinced that even in my trials, God still loves me. How about you, Christian? Do you question God's love when He throws a curveball your way and life gets hard? Let's finish the message in the book of Philippians. We're just going to read a couple verses here and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 1. If you're in Romans, Philippians is just four books or so, three or four books to the right. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I guess that's five books. Philippians chapter number 1. And look at verse number 20. I want you to notice Paul's attitude toward hardships. He says here, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life, oh, that's the good, or by death. Paul said, you could do everything up to killing me. And my goal is that Christ be magnified because of me. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He said, if I live, I get to preach Christ. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus in heaven. Turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse number 5. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Love conquers. Love conquers. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Hey, you know what uh, we're trying to do here as pastors at White Oak Baptist Church, Pastor Morales and I? You know what our church team is trying to do here? We're trying to convince you to have the mentality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If as a church family, we could have the mindset of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, oh my goodness, the world would not be able to contain the revival that we could have. What is the mind of Christ? Look at verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That means he didn't care what other people thought about him. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, my friend, Jesus was willing to suffer. He was willing to die. Did He ever one time question the love of His Father toward Him? No. He never questioned God's love toward Him. He said, because God loves the world, He's going to allow me to die 
to set men free. One more passage here. Chapter 3 and look at verse number 8. Chapter 3 and look at verse number 8. Let's read down to verse number 10. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is ought, the, uh, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul said here in verses 8 and 9, he said, I'm willing to lose everything in order that I may know the love of Christ and that I might show the love of Christ. Do you want those two things this morning? Do you want to know the love of Christ? And do you want to show the world around you the love of Christ? Look at verse 10. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. Christian, it's a happy day when you get to a place where you don't expect God to just give you a silver spoon in your mouth all the time. It's a happy day when you get to the place where instead of whining about hardships... You learn to thank God for hardships. And you understand that He's calling you to a work because He's trying to perfect you. He's trying to drive those sin habits away. If God's love can conquer the faults of our flesh, then God's love can conquer anything. If God's love can wash away our sins, then God's love can conquer anything. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to take your sins away, my friend, what are you waiting for? Today is the day. Call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Tell Him you accept Him and His gift bought for you on the cross and you want to go to heaven. If you're here today and you are saved, are you living under God's love? Are you letting it conquer your faults? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Lord, The homily is complete. The verses have been read. But Lord, the work in the hearts of your people has just begun. Lord, our attitudes sometimes struggle over hardships. Lord, Paul wrote the book of Philippians while sitting in a jail cell because he had been preaching the word. Lord, as hardships come our way, help us to embrace them, knowing that you want to use those hardships to conquer the struggles in our lives. Lord, would you do a great work in the heart of your people this morning, in Jesus' name.